Well, hello. I am not Andy. I'm gonna go with Kate though, because not Andy seems a little too much to Handmaid's Tale for me. So we're gonna go with Kate. Hi, I'm Kate. Um, we, and the theme of today, uh, we are just mixing it all up. And so Andy asked me to speak. Uh, I don't know if he asked me to speak because he thinks I have something valuable to say or he's just so uncomfortable talking about pride. He's just giving the platform to somebody else. We'll, we'll find out after I'm done. Anyway, um, I'm not going to sit down like Andy normally does because I've never spoke and sat at the same time like that, and I was afraid I would not handle it well. But now I just noticed this huge thing behind me. So if I fall, just everybody act like it didn't happen, and we'll just move on. Okay. So anyway, let me get started. I am just going to be telling a story today, my story, because that's the only story I can tell really well. And so I want to tell you about what pride has been in my life and how um, God's taken me on a journey through that. So those of you that have maybe heard Andy's sermon series up till today, you know we are talking about pride and you saw it in the video. And um, I think it comes in a lot of different ways and shapes for each person. And I feel like my story um, may be very unique to what some of you have experienced and some of you may really know exactly what I'm talking about because it's similar to your own story. So we will find out. For those of you that don't know me, I grew up in church. Uh, I got really into church like in middle school, about the time that my family was going through divorces and just drama. And, you know, and I was like at that place of life where I didn't really have um, any strong uh, adult role models and nobody that was really, you know, telling me that I had value. And so I dove into church and that's where I found that. And um, it was a place that, uh, that kind of felt that filled that void that was missing, and it was it was a place that I, I you know I received a lot of affirmation, and I'm really thankful for that. But it was also a place that then started to define my value, and it wasn't defining my value in the way that I hope many of you found value in the church, but it, it was in a way that I saw a bunch of things that I could do to be noticed and be elevated and be affirmed. And so, um, so I became the perfect church kid. Now, for those of you that know me today, this part is going to be like, there is no way this is your story. For those that have known me for a long time, they will tell you that this is 100% true. I was the perfect, perfect church kid. I did not cuss. I did not drink. I, did, I, was, I was at church when the doors opened. I was there. Um, I also... Um, I mean, I, would, I was the one with like Jesus Freak t-shirts, right? That was like at the public school, annoying everybody, handing out the pamphlets, doing the around the pole, you know, around the flagpole prayer. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Some of you are like, yes. Yeah, I had every lyric to every DC talk song memorized. I did not listen to secular music. That man corrupted me in that way. I was a good girl. I, dread, I never wore anything you could see, couldn't see my collarbone. I was like, good girl. Um, and I, but most of all, what I did was I kissed dating goodbye. Anybody else kiss dating goodbye? Some people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the book, I kissed dating goodbye and this whole purity, um, purity, like rings that you would do. And like, I'm going to like, I'm giving, I'm saving myself for my future husband. Right. And that was this culture, this very big in my teenage years. And then I was like, 
this is not even enough. I'm going to go to ministry school. I'm going to, I, so then after I graduated high school, much to my dad's delight, who was not a churchgoer, I decided I'm going to go to church full time. And I it was like, and you're going to pay for it. What? So then I went to, um, I went into master's commission ministry school for two years and I continued to kiss dating goodbye. In fact, I was such a good girl. Um, the only guy I've ever kissed is that guy sitting right there. <laughs> like we, that was my... <laughs> I know, am, am I missing something? I'm just kidding. Oh, no. Anyway, I was, that was my story. And um, because I was so good at playing by the rules, I became, that became all that I was, was that story. This person, this, this girl who believed that um, my worth was defined and how closely I could align to the rules that were set out. Now, I'm not gonna take responsibility for purity, the purity culture that the church exists. I'm not even gonna say that it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm today, I'm talking about my experience within it and how I contributed to it. And so, um, so this thing was in, around purity, like, you know, I didn't cuss and that was a way of staying pure. I didn't listen to secular music and that was a way of staying pure, but it was also, it was mostly centered around sexual purity and, and staying true to who you were. And something, for those of you that maybe that grew up in church know this, this is something that's very much centered on women, usually. There are a lot of guys in my youth group, and none of them were told to kiss dating goodbye the same way that the girls were. And girls were shamed in a way that the boys weren't. And this is just a double standard that we have in the church. And I don't have time to talk about that. And I think... <laughs> Though some of you know we can talk about that, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, but I believe we have to work on dismantling some of that. But I have to, we first, and what we are always at Tapestry is first reflecting on how we contribute to the issues and how we can better ourselves and search after God in better ways. Anyway, so I remembered through my high school years and especially into Master's Commission, I was, and I say now, I was like the golden calf, right? Like I was like this perfect example of everything pure. And they would have me talk to youth groups. I went to schools talking about how to remain pure, how to like, which really, it was super easy to remain pure when you're talking about it. No guy's coming close to a girl that talks like that, right? So it wasn't that much of a challenge, but it was still, it became my identity. And this was, it was an idol in my life. And because it allowed me this platform, I took such pride in how well I stayed by the rules and I played by the rules. And, um, but I didn't worship it alone. There were adults that contributed to that, people who, who directed me in that way. But I allowed my pride to take hold and how good I was. Um, and so you may, why, why does that matter, right? How, like, how harmful is that? So, oh, wow. So you like, you know, saved yourself for your husband. Like, oh, horrible story, Kate. What makes it a bad way to be was the impact that had not just on me, but on those around me. Um, I knew during that time, I felt I would, I'd feel the Holy Spirit kind of tugging at me, but my pride was so overwhelming in this area of playing by the rules and doing it right and getting the platform because I did, that I was blinded by my pride. And C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity like this, a proud man or woman is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And I think that sums up those years so well for me. Like I said, I want to stay careful that I don't want you guys to think I'm saying remaining pure or those things are bad because they're not. We all have to set our own standards for our lives and use scripture and wise people around us to guide us in that. 
Um, but what becomes problematic is when we take those standards that we set for ourselves and we hold everybody else to those standards. And we look down on other people when they don't hold the same standards that we did. Um, and it not only harmed my relationship with God and me getting close to him, but it harmed my entire community. Soon, I was then just surrounded by people that thought like me, that lived life like me, and that wanted to participate in life in the same way that I was. And, you know, as a woman in the church, like I mentioned, it, it's like deeply, you know, the church is deeply rooted in some levels of patriarchal culture, right? And it was my virtue that like perceived this perceived purity that I gave was given this place and I was elevated as a leader. And my belonging became dependent on how well I stayed in those. And those around me, it all became dependent on how well we stayed in these parameters. I mean, it was so bad that at one point, um, I had this, this guy who was dating a girl and I'm no joke, and he's a pastor now, great guy, nice guy, but no joke, he said to me, he's like, I'm thinking maybe I should court you, and this man did not have the same story I did, and he said, I think I need to court you, court, really, court, that's what we used, because, because um, the girl I'm with, you know, she didn't keep herself pure. And so that was, a, that was a moment that woke me up, because then I saw the platform that I put myself on was a moment that was then demeaning another woman. And that didn't sit well for me. And I isolated other women because of that. Because this, um, it, because all of that came out of this response to me wanting some type of longing and validation, and that's natural and that's good and that's the way God makes us, right? Um, but it then propelled me because of my pride into this world that actually isolated me far more than ever before. Pride took over and pride completely blinded me. It blinded me because my story is not everybody's story, right? But because I was the one on the platform, like I am today, to tell that story and that, to tell my story, my pride in my position prevented me from using my platform to tell other people's stories or to invite, even better, invite other people onto the platform to tell their stories. And looking back, I think about the countless women who sat in the audience and heard my story and felt shame and felt like they were less than because I was held up as the standard of perfection, which we all know is not true. <laughs> and they were unable to relate and they got nothing out of that interaction. I got a lot out of it. I felt better about myself. I got to talk to people and I got to be elevated in that way, but they got nothing. All they got was shame. And it was very, made very clear that I was who the church expected people to be. And because of this, we step away from the best parts, the parts of my faith that I hold to so tightly now that keep me from walking away from the church and from Christians every day, this grace and mercy, and as Andy says often, being fully known and fully loved but instead, I found rules and I found a formula and I missed out on things that were so much deeper and the things that can only be found in real community when everybody has the opportunity to be vulnerable and honest. My very smart online friend, Heather, I have a lot of online friends, said, um, anytime we grasp for a formula and then project that as a requirement for others, 
we diminish the depth and complexity of diversity and the strength that is derived from different personalities and stories and perspectives coming together. We're all better because we're different. And we really need to amen that right now in this country, right? Like we're all different and we make a better whole when we come together and we allow pride to not diminish those things. Because pride says, I know better, so I'm gonna tell you your story. And that's what I did. I knew better. So I could tell you how you needed to live, how in your story that would operate. And every day we do that to people. We don't listen to other people because our pride tells us we know better. And so for years, I spoke on behalf of God and women, all women. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) I told my story and I made it the story. So when did it change? Um, I mean, it's still changing. It's always evolving. But there's this scripture verse that if you grew up in church, and especially if you're like, did any kind of pastoral training or anything like it, we have this verse that we all like hold to. And I bet some of you is probably even your favorite verse. So it's in Philippians and um, chapter three. And it was this verse that kind of, that I read a million times that I quoted a million different ways. Um, and, um, but how God showed it to me differently when he started to take me on this journey. So, so this verse I think is like pastoral people get into because it's like, because we try to make excuses as to why we're choosing this path of no pay. So it's like, so, but whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know, it's like, oh, it like makes you like smarter than you really are, right? And so what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. We, we've recited this verse over and over again and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, for which it is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And looking at these words now and as I read them, I read how it wasn't. Like he's telling me it's not by what I do, right? It's by the faith that I have. But that's not the way we use those verses, right? And it says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then it goes on to 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And that was the first thing that took hold of me. It was like, it's okay that I don't have to have all the answers. Because I was told I had to have all the answers. And actually, they told me what the answers were and then taught me how to recite them. But then I was like, no, I don't have to. And I don't have to be perfect. Because while I might have found one little box that I could excel in, I was imperfect in a million different ways and the way that I hurt other people. But I press on to take hold of that for which God, Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then this next verse. And I, actually, Amy, almost. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward, in which God has called me heavenward. So I say all that because I want to set up. I didn't want to just take my verse out because taking verses out of context is very dangerous, right? I have some rhetoric people in here that would call me out on it later. So I wanted to make sure I gave you the context of that we're striving to be who God wants us to be, right? That we wanna, that we wanna find this real sincere faith, right? But then it was this part. And all of us then who are mature should take such a view on things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. First of all, 
I may think differently. Huh. I don't need to dig my heels in and think my view is the only view, but I may think differently. And God will make that clear to me. And then let us all just live up to what we've already attained. Why are we holding other people to standards that maybe they're not ready to be held to? Why do we have to decide this is the way a Christian is and what a Christian looks like? Let's slow our roll a bit and, and realize that everybody's at a different point of their journey. Not everybody's story is my story. So slowly God started to humble me. It took time, and let me tell you right now, it is really, 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 really uncomfortable when you start realizing that your story isn't the story. And I know you all like, okay, we all know we have different little stories, but I'm talking like the way you view the world, the way that you have operated in life is not the same for everybody, right? And so maybe just taking this way of being and putting it on top of something isn't how we find community and how we experience God. Because we know that, like I said, that pride says, I know better, let me tell you your story. But humility says, I am listening and I believe you. And that's really difficult. So I had to start listening to other people's stories and it shook me hearing stories of some of the women that I shamed, hearing why their backgrounds were the way they were. Really uncomfortable. I realized that everything I placed my value on was meaningless. There was, there was nothing. And most of all, I learned that I can be wrong. Close your ears. <laughs> I can actually be wrong. And I don't know about anybody else, but I don't like being wrong. Does anybody like being wrong? I don't. I'm getting much better at being wrong, um, but I don't like it. So I think pride is like tied to this, deep, this need to control things, right? This, we want the answers. We want to understand the world. We want things to operate in this very systematic way, right? Like that if, this is, if you do this, this is what happens. But life is messy. Stories are messy. People are messy. And so... I had to figure that out. The world that was so clearly defined for me wasn't as clearly defined. And you know what? I also had to be very vulnerable. And that's uncomfortable to be so invulnerable. So I'm thankful God started this work in me because it is really necessary. And um, it became even more so necessary when I adopted my son. And, um, well, we adopted. I say I for the first one because I did most of the paperwork. <laughs> Kidding. This is like my only chance to get all of my digs in that he spreads out across <laughs> one. So, um, no. So, I, so when we adopted our son, he, um, the, if God had not started that work in me to listen, I would be, have been doing an incredible disservice to my son. When you adopt a person, you adopt a child that's completely dependent on you, whose life experiences will be completely different than your own simply because of the color of their skin. You have to be willing to listen and not to just my child because he doesn't have any of the world figured out and he doesn't even know what's coming ahead of him. But listening to my friends of color, reading from people that have different lived experiences than me, if God hadn't started that work in me, I wouldn't have been able 
to have the really difficult conversations I've already had to have with my son because of this awful, messy, racist world we live in. But God had to do that work first to get me there. But maybe the best part about um, God taking me on this path towards humility was learning to say I'm sorry. It's hard. And what's harder than learning to say you're sorry when you do something wrong intentionally, it's even harder to say I'm sorry when you do something wrong unintentionally. We all get caught up in defending ourselves for what we do because that's pride, right? Like we want to, we want to, we, we don't want anybody, we, we believe ourselves to be this way, right? And we don't want anybody to see or think us differently. But learning to say sorry when I unintentionally spoke on someone's behalf when I could have just moved out of the way and let them speak or learning to, when the neighbor lady yells at my dog and I respond in anger, having to say sorry to her, even when I was right, right? <laughs> I wasn't right. I handled it poorly. And learning to say sorry in those ways. And that's the posture of humility, right? That ability to recognize when you are intentionally and unintentionally wrong. And it's okay to say sorry. So today to all of the women in this crowd that maybe grew up in church and heard a woman tell a story like I did. I am sorry. I'm sorry for the hurt and the shame that, I, that you felt because girls like me elevated ourselves. I'm sorry that I didn't stop and listen to your story. I'm sorry that I didn't believe there was anything to learn from you. I'm sorry that my pride hurt you and I'm really sorry for all the girls that stopped, all the women that stopped going to church because of stories like mine or culture around those kind of things. Those who don't have stories like mine, but pursue faith and continue working hard despite people making them feel less than. You are stronger, you are kinder, you are more compassionate than I will ever be. And I wanna thank you for what you've done in making Christianity better. And thank you, especially to those women who took the time on women like me and told me what I was missing, forgave me, and then said, hey, let's talk this through. <laughs> so I think actually why Andy brought me up here to speak is because one thing in this journey that um, God has really worked in me and, I, and how he's humbled me is that I lean into hard stuff. I rarely take the easy path. Like, I don't even take the same route home every day. Like, I'm just one of those weird people. And I, I, and I lean into doing difficult things. The, now, don't get me wrong. When I have to do something difficult, like say I'm sorry when maybe I would rather not say I'm sorry, I'm still stomach turning, cannot sleep, anxiety through the roof. It just never goes away until I deal with it. And that's something God gave me through all of that. And so now I've had to lean into doing those difficult things because pride no longer controls me. Now I have to be vulnerable and humble and go to people when it's not comfortable to go to people or address things that are uncomfortable to address or apologize when I unintentionally hurt someone. Now, do I do it every time? No, there's many of this room are like, you offended me last week and I have yet to get an apology. <laughs> that is true. I continue to offend and I'm still working on it. But when I know it, like God 
convicts me and I'm now my pride isn't blinding me and I can lean into those difficult things. And I can make Andy lean into those difficult things. <laughs> so now I don't have to wear my Jesus Freak t-shirts. Though, I mean, I really would like old DC Talk t-shirt just for a little remembrance sake. But I don't have to wear it or my purity ring or these handout pamphlets to prove God's love, right? I just have to live in a way that demonstrates humility and stop saying, I know better than you. Let me tell you your story. Instead, I started saying, I'm listening and I believe you. And when I can't understand, when it is too much, when you're sitting at your house sobbing because you lost your job, you don't have insurance, and you're responsible for that in your family, like that is a rough place to be. But because God took me from where I was and put me in a place that I could hear him, he told me how to be and told me to fight when it was time to fight and to pray when it was time to pray. And now, and then he worked a miracle. So I guess what I'm saying is my story is that. I'd love to know all of your stories, but I really hope instead we all can just listen to each other's stories. We don't need a platform, right? We don't need to be able to get on a platform to be able to share our stories. We can start to hear from each other, but also guys, look around. We're not even that diverse. Get out and get other people's stories. Learn from other people because God has so much he wants to tell us, so much he wants to show us. And we miss out on an experience with him when we stay in our bubble and we stay comfortable. So I think I pray now. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Tapestry Church and everything that this church means to me, Lord. There's so many people in this room that have stood by me at such difficult times, Lord. Lord, I know that each one of us have our own journeys and we have our own ways of getting to know you, Father. And I pray that Tapestry Church will become a church of people who ask to know other people's stories, who want to hear, who want to learn, who want to discover you through the stories in other people's lives, through how they experience you, Father. I pray that you will help each one of us to discover you in new ways, and you'll challenge us to get uncomfortable, to lean into the hard things, and every day that we just grow closer and closer to you. In your name. <laughs>